go to YouVersion or the Bible app. And if you just search in the, the live section for the Well Austin, there's notes and there's even a question for you today. And so you can follow along with the scriptures that you're reading. You can also use the Bible that's under your chair. We'll be in John chapter 11. Or you can, uh, if you don't have that app and you just want to type, which that shows up really well, um, you can type in this into your browser, which you cannot see, but basically it's bible.us. No, slash E slash one WSF. So one white single female, you could put that in there. Um, it randomly generates that. So I don't know why I did that. That was just kind of weird. Um, I don't know what your experience was growing up. And so your experience may not be like my experience. But I remember when I was a little kid, I thought my dad could like fix anything, he could do anything. So as a little kid, I remember like thinking, my dad can solve all problems, he can fix stuff, he can do everything. And that's just kind of how I remember when I was a little kid. But I remember a very specific moment, like I can tell you weird details about this, I won't tell you all of them, but I will tell you a few of those. I remember the moment when I realized that there are some things that my dad cannot do, or there's some things that my dad cannot fix, like I, I remember that moment very vividly. I don't remember exactly how old I was, but I remember that we were on vacation. And um, I had gone into the, like the lobby of this building and there were some arcade games, like you know, you gotta put the quarter in. Now, here's, I probably learned this on that day for later when I have kids, can, this is ADD moment, has nothing to do with the story. I just wanna tell you what I did to my kids so when you have kids, you can do this to them as well. My kids were probably, they were teenagers before they realized that those games, when you go in, you know, the video games that you're supposed to put money in, they had no idea that you were supposed to put money in. I told them that if they just pushed the buttons that they were playing, so because you know there's always something going on the screen or whatever, so I told them, just push the buttons, and so they thought they were playing, um, but my dad didn't do that for me, so I'm in there, uh, I think my sister was with me, and there, at this time, I'm pro- I don't know how old I am, I'm just guessing, five maybe, and um, there's a, like a teenage guy in there, and he's playing this game and he gets really cocky because twice in a row you know like you could put your name in and you got the high score you know what I'm talking about so he got the high score and he turns around to me and he's like take that little kid like I don't know why he's telling me like he's like thinks that he's being cool telling me take that little kid and so uh, he got the high score twice in a row and he's doing telling me about this and in my mind here's what's happening in my mind I'm like kind of offended. I'm kind of hurt that this dude, like in my mind, I think, well, why are you picking on me? Like this doesn't make any sense. And then in my mind, I'm strategizing because that's what my brain does. I start strategizing. I'm going to show you. Like you think that this is it. Let me show you. And in my mind, I thought, well, all I have to do is actually go get my dad and get him to play this game. And he's going to knock you out of number one, right? Well, as a kid, you don't realize that your dad has no idea how to play video games, right? And so I run back, I get my dad, I was like, you gotta come help me, this guy's like making fun of me, and we're gonna teach him a lesson, we're gonna show him, and we go in, and he was like, I've never played this game before, and I'm like, it doesn't matter, you're my dad, you can do this. And he's like, I've never played this game. And so um, he puts a quarter in, and he starts playing, and it was probably, like you get three lives, it was probably a matter of about 30 seconds and he was completely gone. Like it was like, I don't even know if he scored any points at all. Um, And I remember thinking, I didn't say this out loud, but I remember thinking, if my dad can't do everything, what does that mean for me? 
And I know that that sounds weird and silly that a five-year-old kid is thinking this because maybe you didn't have that thought until later on in life, but I'm, I'm just thinking, I thought he could do everything. And if he can't do everything, if he can't fix everything, what happens in my life, and I probably didn't realize this until later on, but what happens in my life when I have a serious problem? right? What happens in my life when I have a problem that's greater than somebody making fun of me because I can't get the number one score on the video game? What happens then? Like, who's going to fix that problem? Like, how am I going to accomplish this? Like, what do I do with that? And I think that we all have times in our life where we realize, oh, crap, this is a big deal, and I don't know what I'm going to do about it. So what I want to talk to you today about is, is like, I think we all have, you know, like in your car, you have gauges, and you have different gauges that show you different things that kind of give you like an idea of how your car is doing or what's going on in your car. And so today I want to talk about, and I actually have a picture of it, um, just a simple gauge, and I want you to pretend, it doesn't say this, but I want you to pretend that it says hope right there. And today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about your hope gauge. And I know that that sounds kind of cheesy and corny. Today we're talking about your hope gauge, but I think it's a big deal. Because I think in all of our lives there comes a moment when we have to ask, where do we get our hope from? Like, where are we going to go to get hope when it seems like we don't have hope, right? Because there are some things, let's be honest, there are some things that our dads can fix. There are some things in our life where good friends can help with. There are some things in our life where maybe we can just figure out how to do it on our own. But there are those moments, and maybe you haven't had any yet, but there's those moments in your life when you realize, I can't do this. I need something beyond me, greater than my dad. I need something, someone, somehow to fix this problem. And what happens is, if we don't deal with it appropriately, our hope gauge starts getting lower and lower and lower. And so that's what I want us to talk about today. We're going to be in John chapter 11. Um, And in John chapter 11, we talked about it a little bit last week. We're going to talk about it again this week. Um, Just... uh, A spoiler alert, if you don't know what happens in John chapter 11, I'm about to tell you the end, um, or the middle and then the end. But there's essentially three main characters in John chapter 11. You have Jesus, or well, actually, I guess there's four. You have Jesus, um, you have Lazarus, you have Martha, and you have Mary, okay? So um, what happens is um, Lazarus ends up getting sick, and he dies, okay? And Mary and Martha are really upset because they thought Jesus could fix their problem, and um, so they're kind of ticked. And so that's basically what's going on. And we'll look at a few of the verses just to kind of see how it goes. But Lazarus gets sick and he dies. Mary and Martha, they're really upset. Um, And to be quite honest, I think probably they're, if we're to continue to use the analogy, their hope gauge is running a little bit low. Um, So in John chapter 11, starting in verse 5, it says, Now Jesus loved Martha um, and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now, that's, to be quite honest, difficult. Like, that messes with my brain a little bit, and it probably, I mean, it should mess with your brain just a little bit. So it says, that Jesus loved them. He loved Mary, he loved Martha, he loved Lazarus. He finds out that his really good friend Lazarus is sick, like about to die sick. If you have, I don't know if you have any really, really close friends that live in some other part of the world or some other part of the country, and if you found out that they were super, super sick and they might die, you would probably go to them. I, I, there's, I have two or three friends that regardless of what time of day it was, regardless of how much it cost, regardless of where they were, I would go 
just to be with them because they were super sick. And it says that Jesus loved them, but then he waited two more days. Like, that, to me, that's kind of like, that's kind of wrong. Like, it seems frustrating and wrong to me. Um, but you find out why, and if you want to know a little bit more about this, you can listen uh, to Tori's message from last week. But the why actually comes in verse 4. If you read in verse 4 above that, it says, But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So there was a whole plan. There was a whole purpose. And, and Jesus actually knows what he's doing. Uh, but if you're Mary or Martha, or even maybe more importantly, if you're Lazarus, It stinks right? Because you're a really good friend who you have hope in because you know that he could do something about this, right? He can change your situation. So you have hope that he can change the situation. And then Jesus, when he finally shows up, he's going to a funeral, which we can learn something from, by the way, because I don't know how often you've gone to funerals. Like, it's not something that's great. It's not something that's, that's usually pleasant, and you don't know what to say, right? Like, I, I don't, like, it's hard. Like, you know, what do you say? And you end up saying something really awkward or something really wrong or people say really weird things, you know? And they do the weird things sometimes in our culture anyways. I don't, it doesn't always happen. But in American culture, sometimes they like to have the casket there and somebody walks by and somebody almost always says, they look really natural. Really? Like, I've never seen a naturally looking dead person before. And so I don't, but we don't know what to say. It makes us uncomfortable. We don't have to, how to deal with it. And so Jesus shows up in time for the funeral. Now their funeral was different than what we do. So basically because they didn't have the same systems that we have, they had to put, get, put the body somewhere quickly because of the decay, okay? So they take the body and they put the body, Lazarus' body in a cave. They roll a rock in front of it and they put him there, okay? But their, their tradition and their system, basically it was gonna be like week, a, a week, several days long of mourning. So it was a big deal. Like there was, there was weeping. Like it's a, a matter of fact, they at times hired people to come and weep because they wanted you to feel this. They wanted you to see that it's a big deal. They would constantly play emo music the whole time because they wanted, you to feel this. It's a significant event. And so it's like days, maybe a week long of mourning, okay? Lazarus, he's, he's in the grave, okay? Jesus now shows up on the scene. Martha and Mary, their hope is kind of low. I, I don't know, maybe their hope is on empty. I'm not really sure where they're at, but they're frustrated because they're like, Jesus, we, we wanted you to come. And they both tell Jesus at separate moments the exact same thing. Jesus, if you would have just been here, you wouldn't have died. If you would have just stopped doing whatever you were doing and showed up when we asked you to show up, he wouldn't be dead. And Jesus responds to both of them, but in two separate ways. One of them, he responds and he deals with her mind. And one of them, he responds and he deals with her emotions. And I think what Jesus teaches us through that is that we need to deal with both of those things. We need to deal with our mind and we need to deal with our emotions. And so we're going to look at how that kind of went down and, and how it goes. So Martha, she's the rational one. Like she's the one that kind of has things in order and he deals with her mind. And so basically she tells him, Jesus, you, you messed up. If you would have been here, Lazarus would still be alive. He wouldn't be dead. So in verse 23, it says, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, said to Jesus, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Martha, 
she kind of thinks this is what's going on. She kind of thinks he's just saying something nice because we're at the funeral. And so he's just saying something nice. That's what, so she thinks that he's telling her like what we would say maybe sometime, like they're in a better place. You know, when you don't know what to say, you say, you just make up stuff. Well, they're in a better place. Well, he, she thinks that that's what's going on here. And she says, I know that there's going to be a resurrection on the last day. And so, yes, I get that Jesus. And it doesn't, like, this is just me, the way my brain works. Like, I'm reading into this. It doesn't say this. But I kind of maybe think that maybe she's being a tad bit sarcastic. It doesn't say that. There's not punctuation that makes you think that. It's not written in all caps. But I'm thinking she's like, yes, Jesus, I know. On the last day, there will be a resurrection, I get it. And I suspect that maybe in her mind she's still thinking, but if you would have just showed up a little bit earlier, he wouldn't be dead. And so that's what's going on. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, so he's going to now correct her because her mind is not thinking clearly. Her mind is not thinking the way that it should. So now he's correcting her in verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she actually goes on to say, Yes, I believe that you are the Lord. I get what you're saying. You are true. You are right. I get it. But what he's talking about there, like it's easy for us to maybe miss this, but what he's talking about there, when he says, I'm the resurrection and the life, he's actually, and we're going to look at it, he's talking about two separate resurrections, okay? So if you look at it specifically, he, he, Jesus said to her in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. So he's like, we're all gonna, we're gonna die, but death is not a permanent thing. You will live again. So he's talking about this, this kind of rela- uh, resurrection, like life after death is what he's talking about. And so he's explaining it to her. Yes, there is life after death. Um, and we don't have time to go into all of it today, but scripture actually teaches us that at some point that we actually get to have this resurrected body, okay? And so there's this life after death, this resurrection that he's talking about, but there's a second resurrection that he's talking about. And it says, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live, verse 26, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Different kind of resurrection. He's talking about, he's trying to help her see, I've come so that you can be spiritually alive. Before, you were spiritually dead, but now I've come so that you can be spiritually alive, and I'm going to use this as an example for you. I'm teaching you about this moment, and I want you to understand that, yes, you're frustrated, your hope is running low, and you think if I would have just showed up earlier that Lazarus would still be alive, but I'm using this moment to teach you something because your mind has put you in a place where you shouldn't be, and you're thinking incorrectly. So then what happens is Martha goes to uh, the back of the house where Mary's mourning with some of the other people and says, hey, Jesus wants to talk to you. So now she's going to go out and talk to Jesus, except now Mary is the emotional one, okay? 
Again, this is me reading into it. I don't know what's for sure what's going on here. I suspect that maybe she's the artist of the two. And so she, she hears that Jesus wants to talk to her, to her. And so she goes out and she falls down in front of Jesus. And she's just weeping. And she says the exact same thing that Martha said. If you would have just been here, Lazarus would not be dead. So she says the same thing to Jesus but now Jesus is going to respond to her so that he can help her see the emotional part. So he's already helped us see the mental picture. Now he's helping us see the emotional picture, and he begins to explain to her exactly what's going on. In verse 33, it says this. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you put him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And then every young person who grew up having to go to church, their favorite verse, John eleven thirty five, Jesus wept. Like, why is that? Now, I'm, we're going to, if you grew up going to church, maybe you're laughing. If you didn't grow up going to church, you don't understand why it's even funny. Let me explain it. And then because it's funny, it loses some of its impact. Like if you grew up going to church, what happened is like you were, I don't know, you were forced, bribed, coerced, um, encouraged. Let's, that's the word. You were encouraged to memorize scripture. And so especially, I know girls didn't do this. You were really good at it. But the boys, they were looking for a way out. And so John eleven thirty five. 35, let me memorize that one. Jesus wept. I'm good. Like, and so if you grew up going to church, that was something that you like, you wanted to like, what's the shortest, what's the shortest verse so I can memorize that one and then I can go play football or whatever that you wanted to go and do. And so now if you grow up going to church, this loses its impact. If you didn't grow up going to church, it may still have some of its impact, but I don't want you to miss this. Why is Jesus weeping Think about this. Like this really can mess with you because it doesn't make any sense. Why is Jesus weeping? Because he knows in just a few moments he's about to go and tell Lazarus, come on out. I'm raising you from the dead. This is a significant moment. If he knows that he's about to do this, why is he crying? Why is he weeping? This is a big deal. I think one of the reasons why he's weeping is because weeping is a universal language. It doesn't matter what language you speak or what language the other person speaks. If you see them weeping, you know that something significantly painful has happened in their life. And I think that he's moved because he sees her weeping. He sees the others weeping. And I think that he's moved. But look what happens. If you go back uh, in verse 33, it says two things. And we only usually see one of them. It says two things. It says he saw her weeping and it says that he was deeply moved. We see that one. And we see that one because it, later on it says that he's weeping also. So we get he's deeply moved. But then it says, and greatly troubled. And we usually miss that one. Other places in scripture, when it says greatly troubled, what you need to understand here is, like, this is like borderline anger, like really frustrated, like, I don't like what's going on here and I'm gonna do something about it frustrated, okay? So he's moved emotionally, he's weeping, but he's also angry, he's also frustrated because he doesn't like what has happened 
and he gets some sort of resolve and says, I'm going to do something about this. I don't like the way that this is going down, and I'm going to do something about it. Here's what happens for us, though, especially men. Uh, Everybody does this to some degree, but especially men. We can make these little compartments, and I'm going to say brain, but in our emotions, like we can put all these things in different compartments, and that's how we deal with stuff. And when we start looking at this particular piece of Scripture, unless you feel it, if you only deal with it like the mind part and you don't deal with the emotional part, you miss part of the impact. And so I started thinking, well, how can I get us to begin to feel it? Because I don't know, I'm not sure how to do that. And so I began to think in my own life, when are some of those moments when I had to feel those things that I don't like to feel and I don't like to talk about and I don't want to deal with? In 2005, Thanksgiving Day was a tradition at the time I'm living in North Carolina, it was a tradition for my family to have all of the people, all of the staff people at our church, they all came to our house and we had Thanksgiving together in 2005. And the day after, my family has a tradition that we go to the movies. And as we're walking into the movies, I get a phone call from a guy at the church that says, hey, Dave, another pastor, his daughter is in a, has been in a car wreck. I need you to come help. And my, here's, I'm just being straight with you. Here's my thought. My thought is, plus, my thought is, you can take care of this. You don't need my help. So I tell him, just go check on him and on her and let me know. I'm sure everything's fine. So me... My wife and my two kids, we go into the movies and we're sitting there and we've got our popcorn and we're watching the previews and he calls me back and he says, and I, and I see him calling and I again get frustrated. I'm like, this is my family time. I'm trying to watch a movie. What's the deal? Like quit bugging me. Just take care of the problem. That's what I'm saying. And he says, you know, you need to come. I, I can't do this. And so I get my family, we walk out of the movie. I don't even remember if we saw even any of the movie. All we saw was the previews. And in my mind, I'm thinking, how am I going to get my money back? Like, I'm really frustrated about the whole thing. And so we go, we get to the hospital, and something happened that I was not prepared for and I didn't expect. I walk into the room, and here is Dave. And he looks at me, and he says... He says, I don't know how to do this. And I said, do what? And he says, they're telling me that my daughter is dead. So I don't know what to do. The only thing I know to do is just to be there with him. So I'm just standing there behind him as he's talking to his daughter and I have my hand on his shoulder and I'm trying to pray but nothing's coming out and selfishly I'm praying not for him or not for his daughter I'm praying for me and I'm like God I don't know what to do here you you got to help me at the time his daughter was 21 years old 
And I don't know if you've ever experienced this before, but no parent should have to watch their child die. Because it'll mess with you. And so then, so I guess that's a Friday, so they have to, of course, make the decision to turn off the machines, and that's on Friday, and so I'm supposed to be preaching on Sunday, and so I'm trying to think, okay, I knew that this would happen, so I came prepared. Um, so I'm trying to figure out what am I going to preach on, and this is gonna, like this is horrible, how am I going to deal with this? And so I had been planning on preaching uh, in the book of Genesis, and it talks about God saying, this stuff is good, this stuff is good, this stuff is good, and then all of a sudden he says, it's something's bad, and he says, it's bad to be alone. It's bad for man to be alone. And so I think, well, I think this still actually applies to us as a church, so I just start talking about how can we be there for them at this difficult time so that they're not having to deal with this uh, death alone. That, and so that's what I talked about on Sunday, um, and then we have her, her funeral on Monday, and so I tried to do a funeral, and, uh, and it was probably horrible, but, and then afterwards, this guy walks up to me and says, hey, I was the guy who, so what happened is she ran off the road, her car flipped, and it threw her out of the car, and there was a guy who was driving behind her that saw it happen, and um, he got out of his car, and he went up to her, and he realized that she was really bad. And he told, this is what he told me. He looked at me and he said, I didn't know what to do. All I knew is, I didn't want her to be alone. And so now you think, come on, Bob, why are you telling us this story? This is like, we don't have to deal, why, like this, why are you doing this? I'm doing this because we don't like to deal with it. We like to push it aside and we don't like to talk about it. But I hope that you see that now Jesus has moved because he has a close friend who has died. Mary and Martha are ticked at him because they think that he could have fixed something, now they're losing hope. He's moved, he's troubled, he's weeping, and what is he gonna do? How does he deal with death? So basically what happens is, you and I, we try to come up with a strategy how to deal with death, and most of the time our strategies really suck. Our first strategy is to just ignore it. Like just pretend like it doesn't even exist. Do you realize that that's a horrible strategy? But that's what we do. We just try to like, we try to avoid it. We try to pretend like it doesn't happen. We just ignore it and, and we play be happy songs. Another thing that we try to do at times is we try to make it be like, well, it's just natural. Like death is natural. You're born and then you die. And we try to make it talk, think that it's natural. But it's actually not all that natural. And scripture teaches us that death is an enemy. And that's part of the reason why Jesus has come. So that we can overcome death and we don't have to fear death. It takes away the sting of death. But I want to look and hopefully we can develop a different strategy. In verse 43, 
So Jesus is like, where is he at? Take me to him. We're going to fix this problem. This is not right. Verse 43, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth, which like, I'm just, this is the way my brain works. If I'm there and I see this mummy looking dude coming out, I'm kind of like freaking out. And Jesus said to, the, to them, unbind him and let him go. Jesus uses this illustration. He sees death and he wants you and me to know that in hopeless situations, Jesus can change things. That's why this is happening. So when your hope gauge is running low, Jesus wants you to know that there's hope. So then the question becomes, okay, why, like, this is just the way that my brain works. Okay, so why? So Jesus brings Lazarus back to life. You do realize, don't you, that he's just going to die again, right? Isn't that weird? Like, am I the only one that thinks that that's incredibly weird? Jesus brings this guy back to life. Now he's going to die again. And they got to go through the whole thing, the same thing again. So why? Why did he do that? Why did he raise him from the dead? Because it's a sign, and anytime Jesus does a sign, it's not actually pointing to the sign itself, it's pointing to something different. And he does it over and over. As a matter of fact, it, some of you are going to have to rewind all the way back. And if you haven't been here for a while, you maybe want to go back. But it, multiple times in the book of John, Jesus does these miraculous things. And it's never about the thing. It's about something else. One time, he feeds 5,000 people. And everybody's like, cool, when do we get to eat again? And Jesus said, that's not the point. The point is, I am the bread of life. You're going to continue to be hungry and you're going to die unless you understand that I am the bread of life. Your soul is going to die and you try to fill it with all of these other things because you have this hunger and I am the only one that can fill this hunger. That's why he fed 5,000 people. There's another place in the book of John where he heals this man who's been blind from birth and there's a lot of controversy about why is the guy blind and how did he get healed and why is all this going on? And Jesus is like, you're missing the whole point. The whole point is not that this blind guy uh, can now see. The point is simply this, that you're living in darkness and I'm the light of the world. And your soul is incredibly dark. And unless you let me shine a light into your soul, you're going to die in a really dark place. And it was pointing to the sign. Now he comes and he brings a man back to life. And it has actually very little to do with a man coming back to life. And it has everything to do with that you and I are spiritually dead. And until we realize that he is the resurrection and the life. And he can speak speak life into our soul. And I don't know where you're at or what you've done, but maybe you've seen this in your own life where before you're like, I, I feel spiritually dead, but then something happens and Jesus begins to speak into your life and you begin to see things that you didn't see before. You begin to study things that you would have never studied before. You begin to learn things that you would have never learned before because he's the resurrection and the life. And it always points to something else. And so as we talk about hope, I know what some of you begin to think about and you think, well, I've been through so much crap in my life that I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty confident that I'm living hell on earth. And I want you to understand clearly what we're talking about because though your life maybe have 
have been, has been really rough. It is not hell on earth because I want you to understand that hell is separation from God where there is no more hope. So you and I, regardless of how bad our current situation is, regardless of what we're dealing with in our life, regardless of what we've put into the back of our minds so that we don't have to think about, regardless of what we don't want to talk about, there's hope. Even if your gauge is running really, really low, I want you to know this morning that there's still hope. But what you need to understand is what you believe determines your hope. Like you and I believe certain things. Like some of us in the room think that we can just fix every single problem that we ever have and your hope is in yourself and at some point that will fail. Maybe some of you have a hope in a job or a career and you're doing really well and you think that things are going great. But let me tell you, if you're running towards that, if you're running towards a job or a career, at some point that's not gonna work and at some point you're gonna find yourself with very little hope. What you do determines your hope. What you run determines your hope. What you believe determines your hope. And so Some of you have put all of your hope into a relationship with a human being. And when you do that, at some point your hope runs out because you realize that they cannot completely satisfy you. So three things that I want you to think about and know. You and I have hope in life as we live this life. You and I have hope in life that in those moments when we can't understand what to do, when we don't know what to do, when we don't see a way out, Jesus provides us with hope. When you don't have a job or you need a new job or you're struggling in your relationships, Jesus can provide you hope. I also want you to know that there's hope in grief. There is hope in grief because hope in Jesus takes out the sting of death. You know, like, I think that's visual for us on purpose. So when a bee stings, it can't sting anymore. It can still fly around and scare the pee out of you, but it can't sting you. And hope in Jesus can take away the sting. Doesn't mean that we don't have grief, but it means that we have hope in something else. Look what it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. It says this, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. When it says asleep, it's talking about people who have died, okay? So it's not like somebody's taking a nap. It's talking about people who have died. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. See, it says you're going to have grief. Jesus isn't taking away your grief, but you're going to grieve in a different way because you have hope. Why do you have hope? For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Like, we're going to grieve when somebody close to us dies. But there's still hope. And what that's referring to is that at some point we get a chance to be reunited because of what Jesus provides because when he says that he is the resurrection and the life and those who follow him and those who have said yes to him get a chance to be reunited and that there's hope in death is the third thing. There's a quote and I wonder if you only hear one thing today, I wonder if this might should be it. Everybody knows that they are going to die, but nobody believes it. 
if we did, we would do things differently. Like I think intuitively we just know at some point we're going to die, but I don't know if we really believe it. Now, I need you to clearly understand, because those of you who grew up going to church, if you didn't grow up going to church, you can check out for a minute. Those of you who grew up going to church, I know what you're immediately thinking. Oh, I didn't think Bob was one of those kind of preachers. I'm not trying to tell you that you're going to die and go to hell just to scare you into walking forward and praying some prayer, because I don't think that it's about praying a prayer. It's about living a life that you totally surrender to Jesus. So if you grew up going to church, don't. That's not where I'm going. Have you ever noticed that in life when people like recklessly spend lots of money or they don't have a budget, they don't have a plan, they just go and spend stuff, they make incredible mistakes, they do all kinds of spend money that they don't have, they have debt. Do you ever notice what we say about them sometimes? That's foolish, if you live that way. Have you ever noticed that people who live without any care for relationships and they da- do damage to their relationships and they do these things, you know what you normally say about that? That's foolish. We shouldn't live that way. Do you know what it means when you live a life without having a plan for death? Do you know what it means when you don't ever think about those kinds of things, what happens after you die? Let me tell you what that is. That's foolish. And I just want to read it to you one more time because Jesus is the resurrection and the life and he gives us hope and 1 Thessalonians speaks very clearly to that. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep or those who have died that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. And so it's not so much that Jesus died and rose again. It's actually about why did he do that? Because he's the resurrection and the life. And it's not just so that you could see that Jesus died and came back to life. So that you could begin to see that the reason that he did that was for you. So you and I can have a spiritual resurrection like we're, our soul is dead, our soul is dark, our soul is hungry, and we have this resurrection where we begin to be filled and see the light and begin to long for Jesus. And then we have a, a, a spiritual resurrection that after we die, there's more to life than what we have now. So what you believe today determines where you get your hope. And I want to ask you as you begin to leave today to just begin to think, number one, where's my gauge at? Like, am I full of hope or do I have little hope? And then I want you to ask yourself this question, where do I get my hope from? My guess is if you're like me, many times we try to get our hope from the wrong place. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this morning. (laughs) And in some ways, it seems kind of weird that we 